Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nicholas Ferry. I can be found at Nicholas Ferry. No, just kidding. NickFerry.com joined with April Wilkerson of WilkerDews.com and Jay Bates of Jay's Custom Creations.com. Excuse me, Nicholas. My name is actually Jonathan. It's not Jay. <laughs> and mine is actually June, not April. <laughs> is it really? No. <laughs> I wish it were, though. Like, if I was going to be named after a month, I'm really mad that my mom didn't name me after June Carter. Uh, at least then, instead of, I get the uh, April O'Neil, you know? So June Carter would have been better than April O'Neil? I think so. Heck yeah. I don't know. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are pretty cool. I, I agree, and I do like the yellow leather jacket, so I, I guess either way I win. <laughs> I think it was a patent leather jacket. Okay. well before we get into the thick of things i just want to take a moment to thank the patrons over on patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast and announce the top people top supporters over there michael gillitzer and jim jardine if you guys want to support the woodworking podcast go to patreon.com forward slash the woodworking podcast or you can go to the woodworkingpodcast.com and click on the contribute button on the website, whichever you prefer. Either way, very much appreciated and thanks. Big thank you to everybody. High fives all around. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> yep. So what are you working on, Nick? Um last night I was I just I had a hankering to make a, a, a mallet on the lathe. So I turned a mallet and my wife was willing to videotape that for me. So we're tr- I'm trying a new a new style essentially. I had a I had a video camera operator for the camera night. operator. That's interesting or it it's interesting that you you bring that up. Um me and Sean Stone uh discussed like hey we should you know just take one weekend or one day out of a week or something like that and record video for each other just to kind of experiment with that style what do you th- is this the first time you've done that uh well first time like a full-on video like that um i did one a while back and it just it, it went so-so as far as like the editing but it was fun it was actually more just fun um because it was my wife and hanging out in the shop and stuff and occasionally not all the time but occasionally she likes seeing me work and ask questions and stuff it's just i don't know it's kind of it's kind of fun that way just be able to spend some time together yeah is she interested at all in getting on the lathe herself i don't know i've uh before i got the lathe uh she you know like just really simple small stuff on like the bandsaw or whatever not a whole lot of interest there but maybe on the lathe who knows yeah so you ended up turning a mallet yeah, I was just, it, 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 I guess, you know, being a content creator, quote, I was doing the air quotes. Um, it, I just I just was bored. I wanted to just kind of go out to the shop and just have fun because it was actually somewhat warm. My, uh, I do a monthly uh, sushi night with my, my buddies, and the one guy is the HVAC guy, so he's going to come over a little early tonight and look at my heater because it's still out. But we had a really warm day for February yesterday. It was like... 45 50 degrees so it was tolerable in the shop so i just went out there and turned a mallet and jay's snickering about something 45 you saying it's warm in in the 40s (laughs) oh 
I think, I mean, yeah, sweatshirt weather anyways. Yeah, we often talk about that. It's just what you're used to. It's It was like uh, 75 degrees yesterday. I pressure washed my house. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get in the 80s today here. Yeah. It's just one of those things. I mean, for anyone that lives in cold climates and they're like, oh, zero degrees Fahrenheit, that's not that cold. Uh, they're BSing you. I mean, everybody gets cold at around zero. but Or even like if it's 10 out in the shop or something like that, that's cold. Anything under... 30 or yeah it's probably cold but anyway so have you um edited the video any yet see the the footage your wife took yeah she actually got really good footage um but i tried to record it with two cameras like my cell phone camera and my dslr which i'm just used to using the dslr or my cell phone um but i i think and i i didn't look up the tech specs yet because i'm more irritated on it but I think one of them recorded at either 29.97 and then the other one 30. I don't think it's as far off as 24 frames a second versus 30, but um, a fifth, it was like a 15-minute video clip, and by the time I got to the end, my voice was off about five seconds. Hmm. So, yeah, pain in the butt. Not much to do with woodworking, but... So just trying to go through that and try and salvage something from it. It'll probably end up being a longer video where I'm just rather long-winded explaining stuff, but it was it was fun. It was fun to just get out there and turn something. I've made probably, I don't know, about a dozen of those mallets so far, um, just whenever I get bored and have some wood laying around. Cool. You going to throw them on the website? I might. Uh, I think there's one or two up there right now, but I don't know. It all depends. Might end up being a gift for my buddy for fixing my heater or something. There you yeah. go. I've got the itch to get back on a lathe. I uh, I still need to make those stupid chisel handles. Haven't gotten around to doing that, but um, I'm kind of getting the itch to get back on it and, and get to turn. And I want to just push it out in the driveway, though, and just turn out in the air with a fan blowing, not worry about the dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it was 50 degrees out, you could do that. No, if it was like 70, <laughs> I could do that. So not working on chisel handles, what are you working on? Uh, the dust collection. So I got the, uh, last week Wayne came over and helped me install the dust collector, which due to the location in my shop, that was a nightmare. That was, that was rough. Um, and then let's see last, I think it was Friday. I think it was last Friday. Sean Stone came over and helped me with the piping, uh, which man, that was a tremendous help as well, especially the, the main branch that's going across the ceiling and dropping down into the, into the table saw island. It's very handy to have an extra set of hands and also another ladder. He brought his ladder over too. So uh, friends helping in the woodworking world is always always appreciated. And I've got the the entire system about, I'd say, 89.37% complete. Um, that was a bad joke. Nobody laughed. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was I totally in my head was thinking another joke about you said the one of the branches coming off and I was going to go into this whole bush trimming thing and then that that person's called the branch manager. Oh gosh. Some people <laughs> just don't know how to tell a joke, huh? <laughs> so, sorry, Jay. Anyway, I'll, I'll next time. <laughs> yeah, insert wanna, a laugh track during the yeah, editing. You want to yeah. you want to do it again and just edit this part out and I'll laugh <laughs> as if it's the first time? No, I'll, I'll insert it like a little baby giggle, like that the funny baby giggle. <laughs> so, 
So there you go. Filmed um, in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, the dust collection system is pretty much done. I've, I'm waiting on uh, two or uh, three, three, two, two true six inch to dual four inch wise um, to hook up the bandsaw and then my planer and something else. Uh, but the miter saw is 100% piped in. And holy smokes, what an upgrade. So I put, yeah, I put a couple wings on the side of the miter saw previously, um, right before upgrading the dust collector in an attempt to really isolate the suction or, or better isolate the suction closer towards the blade, closer towards where the dust is generated. So that was a little bit of an improvement. But between that and then also doubling the CFM from the dust collector and then also running a six inch line right to the back of the miter saw box it's insane like making a controlled you know not really fast but not really slow cut on like a two by four it's like festival capex suction it is it is so nice all of the all the dust goes back there um all that i can tell anyway so i'm really excited about it and i've got the table saw pretty much all piped in I'm going to keep the overarm dust collection um, installed and using, but I'm not using the saw stop arm that comes with it. So I've got a, um, I've got a drop right after the blast gate. A, it's, a six inch P, it's a six inch fitting that has a four inch Y coming out of it. And that is going to be, uh, it's, it's a flex hose from there to the, over the sub, a blade dust collection on the saw and I'm going to suspend a rope from the ceiling, something to something really thin to kind of hold it up in place. Um, that way it'll make removing it easier for stuff that I can't use it on like non through cuts and such. But overall, I'm really excited with the results that I'm seeing so far. And uh, I'm just excited to uh, get those other two fittings in and get the whole thing set up and get the shop back organized again and start on the next project. So I can't visualize what you're saying with the with the table saw. When you did you already put that on Instagram? Not yet. I will probably put something like that on Instagram today or tomorrow. Um, I have everything but the the uh, the support line done. So <clears throat> basically, I've got a drop coming down and about eye level, which for me is kind of short. Um, okay, no one laughed at that one either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, at about eye level, I've got that uh, four inch Y coming off, and that reduces down to the size hose for the saw stop uh, over the blade dust collection. And then mm -hmm. instead of having that metal arm that comes across, I'm using a different hose that's uh, expandable, and it's just going to go kind of from eye level on the far right of the saw all the way over to it, and then like maybe six inches to the right of it, I'll have a uh, a rope or a thin wire or something going to the ceiling to support that flexible line instead of using the metal thing uh, because the metal thing the I metal just could thing not including the plastic thing or just that metal thing? The, the the metal U pipe that comes with the saw stop overarm dust collection that bolts to the back rail of the saw I removed it completely um, just because mm -hmm. when I wasn't using the um, when I wasn't using the overblade dust collection there was just no convenient 
spot for me to swing it out of the way. The last layout, it was convenient to just swing it on against the wall. This one is not, so just eliminating it to begin with and still have a flexible line and still use the overblade collection um, seems to be working out. I just need to support it from the ceiling. And that gotcha. that whole system may evolve into something else. Uh, I, I'd like to eventually, depending on how well this works out, um, you know, the saw stop dust collection is really good right out of the box. It really is. Um, but I'd like to, just because the, the capacity of the dust collector is there, figure out a way maybe to make a homemade dedicated four inch dust collection right on top of the blade. Something that can kind of swing out of the way. Are you guys familiar with the, the YouTube channel? Um, it is HHFCOM. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's a, woodworker by trade and he just does like time-lapse videos of him working in a shop um showing his showing his projects but anyway i can't think of any individual video i'll post a link to his channel but i can't think of any individual video that i've seen it in but he has a similar over the blade dust collection system in his shop and he has it on a rope and pulley system to where when it's not needed it's hinged on his wall i think it's on his wall and he pulls the rope with the pulley, and it just lifts it up out of the way. And when you need it, you just drop the rope again. So I'm, I'm thinking something like that. I, uh, it's it's going to be an evolution process, just like everything else. You'll figure out something to make it a little bit better here and there, or kind of experiment to see if it gets any better. But overall, really excited with the uh, results I'm getting so far. And um, yeah, just ready to get my shop organized and back together. It's It's a disaster right now. With all those fittings and everything, did you come across how they spell Y as far as Y connector? It's W Y E, I think, right? Yeah, I I always thought I always thought that was weird, considering it looks like the letter Y. Why not just use Y? Nope, we have to add two more letters and overcomplicate it. That's like the name J. Why not just use the letter J? Why do you have to put A Y at the end? Yeah, yeah, it's just gotta be difficult. I that's don't all. Know. Yep. <laughs> so anyway that's that's kind of the gist of what i've got going on what about you april how's the design going on the shop oh it's a it's overwhelming but it's good you know what i've been doing there are thankfully a lot of woodworkers who have put the, the their shop build on youtube so i've watched alan's from the woodpecker um which surprisingly he does such a good job at just like moving through the information it's so much information and he he put his shop together like not doing anything fancy it seems like he was like um just get in there and get it done anyway so i'm really impressed with his series i of course watched frank howard's um which he didn't he had some footage of like it actually coming together um so i watched that one in the shop tour and then i just finished with mark spagnolo's dream shop build from back in 2009 or 13 or, you know, from whenever he built his last shop in, in Arizona. Right. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm taking notes on like square footage, um, just anything, anything and everything that they mention. So it's good. I think, I think I've decided on at first I was thinking a 800 square foot woodworking shop and an 800 square foot metalworking shop. That's one long building with a, uh, a wall dividing the two that will have like a big either sliding door or double door. Um, but now I think I've decided on at least a thousand for the woodworking and maybe sticking with 800 for the metal. But then if I'm at it, might as well just make 
at a thousand a piece. So I'm, right now I'm settled on 2000 square foot. And what I'm, what I'm kind of caught up on is the width of the shop. I don't know if I want it 20 feet wide or something more like 30 feet wide. Um, I'm thinking about going with more like 20 just so that it's a long rectangle and I don't have too many like island tools and settings. Um, but I don't know. A lot of people are, are saying that they think it's too skinny, but I don't know. I think I would be comfortable with that because then what I could do is utilize all of the walls where, of course, all of the outlets are going to be. And then I could run a strip down the down the center to where there would be a line of outlets along the floor. So I could place like the bigger tools like my table saw and then just drop it right into the to the outlet on the floor. You know what I mean? And I could have access because a, a lot of tools, I don't need access to all sides. In my head, the tools that I would like to have access to on all sides is like an assembly table and my table saw and maybe even the bandsaw because having access to only two sides on the bandsaw with the, with the wall immediately to my left has been cumbersome in a few situations. So I'm thinking if I can isolate and make the table saw, bandsaw, and assembly table as an island tool or station, then I think everything else could be alongside a wall like I'm currently using it. I, uh, you might want to check, are you getting an architect or anyone to help you kind of draft something together or? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure eventually. Well, I, I think I'm leaning away from the ship, shipping container, uh, at this point, uh, Matias, actually a whole bunch of people have just brought up a lot of really good points on why it would be kind of more cumbersome and, and a, a nuisance than it, it is like a really smart decision since I'm going with such a large space, um, so with that, I'm probably going to buy, I'm either probably going to pay somebody to build the shell uh, out of metal and maybe even skin it. And then I do the rest, or maybe I'll get like a kit and put the kit together. So you know what I mean? So I'm, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to hire out the foundation and more than likely the shell, but they make these like brackets, like trusses and, and wall, wall brackets where you can just, um, almost like a Legos or an erector set to where you can just um, take the brackets, the metal brackets, and then clip in your, your framing. So maybe something like that. Honestly, I'm still looking into, there's just so many options that it's really kind of overwhelming on which direction to even lean towards. Mm -hmm. You might, uh, the reason I asked is because you might want to look into the code for having uh, outlets in the floor of an outbuilding. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I know, I know, I think the codes are different than a living space and an outbuilding. Because they're worried about any type of obviously water, but then also um, like flammable vapors hovering and you know whatever. But you might want to yeah look into outlets in the floor. Okay, I will. I know that uh, Frank Howarth and also Mark Spagnolo have had outlets in the floor. Um, and Mark actually got his shop more to match his house. So his was built to a higher, I think, standard than mine's definitely going to be like a in-the-country shop setup, you know? Yeah. yeah. It, t- it totally made me think of that, that old Taylor joke when you were talking about how long the walls should be. Mm-hmm. And then so like if the architect were to say, well, how long do you want the walls? Well, probably as long as I have the shop. That's funny. <laughs> Insert the joking I'm not laughing, Nick. Effect. No laughing sound effect for you either. <laughs> You're gonna boy- boycott the jokes. I'm boycotting yours. Nick's. Yeah, I'm boycotting <laughs> laughing at Nick's jokes. I just, I just bought a new pair of pants, and I, I get them from uh, 
this uh, supplier that supplies like fire departments, police departments. That's a whole other story altogether. But they're a special kind of cargo pant with ripstop that I really like. And they they always come in a little long. And every time he's like, how long would you want the pants? I'm like, or how long do you want the cuffs? And I'm like, as long as I have the pants. <laughs> and he, he never gets it either. So he, he must know Jay. I'm still not laughing. No, Jay gets it. He's just refusing to laugh since you didn't laugh I, at his. Yeah, that's true. Which, which I'll, I'll tell that story. It has nothing to do with woodworking. But every time I go into this place, they ask what police department I'm with. Now, granted, they sell to security firms. I think they even have some military stuff. EMS, paramedics, firemen, all, all that. But they always specify police department. So I, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that I somewhat look like a cop. Now, granted, with my physical stature, it doesn't look like I'm climbing ladders all day. So I could see them eliminating firemen. But, I mean, come on. Why can't I be EMS? And if I look like a cop, well, I, I must not look like a good cop, like an undercover cop. Because, you know, you don't want to look like a cop if you're undercover. Food for thought. I'm still not laughing. I'm, I'll laugh. <laughs> I'll laugh. Just insert the baby laugh throughout the entire podcast, Jay. Hashtag no laugh. No laughing. <laughs> Hashtag team spindle sander forever. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but other than the shop, I'm also balancing. Um, boy, um, do we want to get back on topic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, we don't. No? Want <laughs> <laughs> no, other than designing my shop, I'm also uh, designing a carport. My dad's been asking me to build him a carport for a little bit. So uh, since I'm staying here, um, I'm going to go ahead and knock that out. We're supposed to be closing on the Fort Worth house as well as the new house that we're buying um, probably next week. So I uh, figured try to get that done before actually moving out. So, yep, designing that, I think I'm going to do the entire base out of metal and then um, do like a polycarbonate roofing material. Uh, so something simple. It'll be open and just something that they can just drive into that will protect their vehicles from the sun and, and, and weather. So it's a standalone carport, not something like attached. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Standalone carport. Mm -hmm. So like the corrugated roofing material, that type of stuff? Yep. Yep. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's like a translucent, so it'll let some light in, but protect it, protect the vehicles. Or I don't know, they they make it they make it in a few different colors. But I think my mom wants a translucent one. It's like a white, to where you can see shadows but not actually see through it clearly. You know? Yep. Yeah. Somewhat somewhat opaque, translucent type. Yeah. yeah. Opaque. Like a fro like a frosted glass. Speaking of which, um, you know the term faux like faux fur or faux frosted glass. I always got a kick out of how that was spelled, and, and when you see that in print, I don't know how many times I've had people, because I used to be in the glass industry, and it was a faux stained glass, F-A-U-X, and be like, uh, I'll have the fox glass. Be like, um, oh, you mean the faux glass. Okay. Still don't not laugh, laughing. Jay. Hashtag yep. no laughing. Uh, I'm still not laughing. I'm not going to. <laughs> so yeah, that's really all uh, I guess we got going on. Y'all want to hop into some questions? Sure. Or do y'all have more going on? Dude, what's going on with your office? When are you going to finish that room? Me? Yeah. Whenever I get back to it. <laughs> you, lost, you lost your mojo for, for fixing it up? Um, no, it's just a, a million other things going on. Yeah. Um, I didn't even realize today that my kids had a, a late start to school. And normally that just means like an hour. They just left like 20 minutes ago. I'm like, why are they even still going to school then? They're only going to be there for like two hours. Hmm. But 
yeah, stuff like that comes up, and then I know I know Jay had uh, what was it? Jay had issues with his dog. I can't remember. But last I, week, our, yeah. What? What's that? Yeah, our our dog last week or the week before. You know, we had to take her to the vet hospital, but she's doing a lot better, by the way. So that's awesome. I um, we had back to back issues with our dogs, like less than a month apart. One had some sort of growth on her leg that had to get um, taken off, and then the other one. Her eye was all swollen, and it turned out she had a, I forget what they even called it, but it, her tooth was infected, and I guess that, An so anyways, abscess? just, yeah, yeah, tooth abscess, thank you. So, yeah, just stuff coming up, and then, like I said, I, I, I'm supposed to be working on that coffee table yet, which is, I don't even want to admit, but, uh, rather, you know, I just, I just was looking for something fun to do, so a mallet was a lot more fun than putting up acoustic foam. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's jump into some questions. July with Fitz says, uh, if you guys were to move back, if you guys were to move into a shop half the size of your current shop, what major tools do you think you could get rid of and still be able to do your work? I think Jay's going to get rid of his spindle sander. <laughs> no, I use it too frequently. <laughs> I, I the reason I put that question is I thought that was a really good question. Everybody talks about a dream shop or uh, the size of the shop and going bigger, like we were just talking about. But or you know your favorite tool, you know. But what would you get rid of if you had to downsize? Mm. I think it's a good question. Let's see. I would say that the first thing I could think of to get rid of and still be able to do my work. I would say my eight-inch jointer. I could, I could, uh, if we're talking about necessity here and downsizing, I would. That would be one. That'd probably be the first thing to go because it does take up quite a large amount of space, and it is a dedicated tool to that one specific task. And I've got hand planes. I could use hand planes. Now that being said, you know, it's, it's obviously wouldn't be. Um, I, I would much rather prefer to use an electric jointer for dimensioning lumber, but. We're talking about downsizing and necessity, so that'd be the first thing to go in my shop. Well, one thing that actually went from my shop, from when I had a sign company uh, making signs, you know, you don't you don't make shoes at a sign company, but anyways, what um, <laughs> was my panel saw? That was a really nice, essentially, when I had the sign company was was almost a necessity. But it just took up too much wall space, and as you guys know, wall space is absolutely a premium. So imagine you know, a roughly five or six foot by ten foot thing leaning against the wall. But when we were busting down substrates like um, you know dense urethanes and uh, marine plywood stuff like that, it was it was really nice to be able to have one person to just flop up a four by eight sheet and then be able to dimension it all down to different size signs. And but that was one thing I had to get rid of when uh, I no longer had that shop. Hmm. I, I would still love one. I would love a panel saw. Um, I don't want to get rid of anything. I hate this question. No, I guess <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would probably get rid of the lathe because uh, that's an entire thing. I mean, we're talking about if we have to, right? Um, yeah, probably the lathe with the entire workbench. Um, I would get rid of, I guess, my standalone router table and build it into the wing of my table saw. I would get rid of my standalone planer and spindle sander stand and build that into like an under under the wing of my table saw compartment. 
That way I would have to pull it out and set it on top of something every single time I wanted to use it. So that would eliminate a lot right there, I guess. And then I would just like, yeah, utilize, I guess, the, the space in and around the table saw a lot more for those things that I have stained alone right now. Yeah, I guess size is a premium if I'm going half of the size. The next thing I could think of would be to, um, I would definitely keep my workbench. So the four foot by eight foot assembly table slash out V table, that would go. Uh, I would much rather use the workbench than, than the assembly table. But what, what the, the necessity tools that you have to keep, I would say for me, would be the uh, drill press, table saw, and I was, you know, I was, was going to spindle sander. No, I was going to say, uh, um, oh, I'm not supposed to laugh. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Hashtag no laughing, Jay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not laughing at all. Um, I was going to say the the miter saw, but you can cross cut on a table saw, so you could save space there. Uh, the bandsaw, dude. I recently yeah, I put my bandsaw in the storage unit thinking, no big deal, I'll just use a jigsaw if I need to cut anything out. No, big mistake. I, 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 I wasn't even able to make it a month without my bandsaw. I hated trying to cut shapes. Like I made those Andirondack chairs. No way. Like I, we, we went and I had Cody come, uh, like pretty much move everything out of the storage unit because of course it was placed at the very back in order <laughs> to bring it back over to my dad's. <laughs> So yeah, the bandsaw and I think the table saw. I'm with you. If you have to get one to go, then get rid of the miter saw because you can utilize the uh, the table saw for it. The drill press too. I mean, that I guess that's a standalone you have to have thing. I'd probably have to get rid of my hollow chisel mortiser, but I wouldn't want to do it. I'd be mm-hmm. screaming and kicking. Yeah, I think so. You'd have to get rid I, I, of that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say you had to ha- downsizing yours. That hollow chisel mortiser, you could. Um, that's so easy to tuck away somewhere, you know. It's too heavy, though. I, I, you know, with a bad back, I don't want to be bending over to try and lift that thing up. Which is nice that it's heavy because it doesn't vibrate and it, it, you know, it doesn't tip over very easy. But it's just I, I don't use it as often. I'm trying to think of it, something that I use the most frequent. In fact, I, I wouldn't save much space by by getting rid of it. But my Domino XL. Um, and I don't know how much space I'd save, but I, I would just get the 500, the smaller one. <laughs> hey, that's a sacrifice. I yeah. think you're doing good. Pat I on the back. They, I think they probably both fit in the same size sustainer though. Mm. <laughs> um, there was something else I was thinking of. I forgot. You could always get rid of that giant lathe. No. No. Yeah, no. Hey, you know what though? Like most of most of my stuff is folding. Like all of my workbench fold down or up into the wall. My my outfit tables folds down. So honestly, if I had a downgrade, I could probably keep all of my like folding things and then just get rid of the miter, the lathe, and the router table. And then if I got rid of the standalone stand that I have now for my spindle sander and thickness planer and just relocate that to under the uh, table saw extension, I think. I think I could downgrade pretty easily. Not that I want to. I hate this scenario, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know your answer was in a. I didn't know we could answer your answer. I don't like the question anymore either. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just stating that for the record. I hate this scenario, even <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> so the a, a very common size shop is a two car garage. Yeah. Um, that seems to be very common. And as far as downsizing, look at the guys who are like doing a good job in a single car garage. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Lane has quite a good setup. 
Uh, now he's crammed for space in his single car garage, but uh, he's he's got a, a a pretty nice shop out of a single car garage. Uh, my friend Jeff Ferguson has a uh, uh, basically a one car stall out of a garage that he boxed in, and he's got a pretty nice setup. So don't well, let about, that also. What uh, about John Hines? Yeah, John Hines. Well, his is a. It, I think it's like one car wide, but it's like one and a half times deep of a standard one car garage. Something it's like still that. not huge, though, you know, considering right. the amount of stuff that he produces. And then even uh, Chris with Toolify, uh, I thought you went there, but it, I think it was Matt Cremona that went there. But it, he did a shop tour, and it was a really small space. Yeah, he he is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, if I'm not mistaken, he uses just like a bedroom of the house, uh, something like that. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's interesting though. It I guess it all depends on what you make, and then also what climate you're in. Because I always admired uh, the location that Steve Ramsey's in, because it, it'll be like December, and he's out with some sawhorses out in the sun and just warm. Well, you're not gonna do that here in December. So that would be you know tool storage wise, it'd be a lot easier if you had a one stall, but you had some warmer weather. And it, again, it depends on what what you're building. If you're building you know, large cabinet carcasses, that's really not going to be a whole lot of fun in a smaller space just because as you're building them, you have to put them somewhere versus maybe if you're a scroll saw uh, type person to where you just have, you know, they, they flat, you know, lay against the wall or something like that. But Or even if you're yeah. a turner, turners don't require as big as, of, of a space. Yeah, that's true. So I'm pretty sure like Tim Yoder, I think his shop is like a one... Could have swore I've seen like a, a kind of a, a shop tour where it's a one stall garage, and yeah, he he turns some pretty cool stuff. But yeah, being I, we got to get off this question. <laughs> In fact, it's it's funny because you were just talking about well, eight hundred square feet for the well, I might as well just make it an even thousand that way. <laughs> and, and and then the next question is, what, what if you got to cut that in half? Yeah. So. No, I mean, I think it's possible. I mean, of course it's possible. People do. I mean, it's almost like with the weather, you you can adapt to whatever your circumstances are. But, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, Will VSC, I'm guessing South Carolina, says, Texas collaboration exclamation mark. You guys must do it. And then Mississippi with Jay. Yeah, I'm all for a Texas collaboration. Uh, you know, I, I really think that um, I would like to invite different YouTubers to come help out with building my shop at different portions. And so I think that would be fun. But I mean, hashtag free labor. Yeah, please. <laughs> please come help me. <laughs> hashtag not in July. <laughs> you don't get the experience <laughs> if you don't come in July. <laughs> oh, we have saunas here. I know what it feels like. <laughs> But it's dry heat in Texas, right? No, I mean, it's it's hot. You don't want to be working outside in July. I did the fence in July, and it was dreadful, dreadful. Like, I don't mind the, the hard work, but you combined hard work with 110-degree weather, and it's it's not up my alley. Yeah, and I would imagine anything over triple digits is probably, it feels exponentially hotter. I don't mind up to about 95, but once you get past that, I'm like, eh, no. Yeah, and I mean, especially, I think I was... Uh, yeah, doing doing the fence and then the heat index, it feels like it's a hundred and you know eighteen or something crazy. So I mean, it's just it's just awful. And there's no point. Like I think building a shop or even building a fence, doing some major improvement to your space and to your home, I think it's um it's fun. And so there's no point to not enjoy yourself by making it in the middle of summer. Yeah. 
I uh, I have a couple buddy of mine, mad respect to any type of blacktop uh, asphalt guys or roofing guys, mm -hmm. because he does as soon. I I just know as soon as he starts doing roofing, because he'll lose ten fifteen pounds within a week. Just you know, and he brings these big gallon jugs of water, just chugging those all day. Yeah, not for me. No way. Fat fat guys don't do well on roofs. <laughs> not laughing. Yeah, oh, oh, I I saw Jay smirking. No, no he's stoic. Jay not laughing. <laughs> what was that? That was from the movie Jackass or something where he's like, uh, "What are you afraid of heights? He goes, no, no, I have a fat guy fall down a phobia. <laughs> All right. The last question is from Anton Penner. He says, hey, quick question for the podcast. Uh, do your planers leave a low spot at the very end of the board like a jointer would do if the blades were adjusted too high? That is planer snipe. And there's a lot of information on planer snipe out there. Different things you can do uh, to reduce it or reduce the effect of it. Um, but it's pretty much impossible to 100% eliminate on the small lunchbox uh, benchtop planers just because of their, their lack of mass, their size in, in general. Um, Matthias Wendell, woodgears.ca, he has a very good video um, explaining what's actually going on causing that. Uh, and I'll post a link in the uh, show notes for this this episode as well. Um, there's there's a couple different things you can do to eliminate, though, like uh, feeding a board in, a sacrificial board before and after. That is the same thickness of what you're working on, and it will reduce in thickness as you are planing away. That can do a good job at um, eliminating it. Uh, but some jointers or some planers are worse than others as far as what is actually uh, how bad the result is on the board. Yeah, I would say that's just kind of the cost of doing business with the less expensive lunchbox planers. Uh, some people will put like an in-feed, out-feed table to try and help eliminate that, which is one of the problems, but mostly it's that carriage moving when it, the board hits the in-feed roller and it wants to kink that the planer head carriage. Um, and like Jay said, that's just kind of the, you can't really eliminate that on these, on these smaller, less expensive planers. You'd almost have to go to a floor model where it's like a four post. It's just cast iron parts. That carriage is not going to move on you. So I would, in most cases, just account for it. Know that, uh, I try not to cut board project boards to length until they're thickness planed. Because if you think about it, snipe on, the end and beginning of an eight foot board, you you lost that. But if you cut those down to, you know, four two foot boards, now you just introduce snipe, you know, how many more times? So just kind of account for it, and uh, or either that or get a floor model one. Or what? I mean, there are some like what Jay was saying, the sacrificial board on the in and out on either side. I mean, there are some ways that you can handle it on a lunchbox yeah. model. I would I wouldn't say to use a sacrificial board. That's just my opinion because. If, if you're worried about snipe and it wrecking a workpiece, well, then why are you going to put another piece through it? But you could, if you had somebody helping you, just one board right after another. If you have four or five boards to do, just one right after another so that that carriage isn't flexing. But I'd yeah. hate to sit there and plane down a sacrificial board every time I wanted to. Well, the sacrificial board I'm talking about is like just a piece of two by four out of the scrap bin kind of stuff. We're not, yeah. you know... Not like yeah, an extra I, piece of ambrosia curly maple. 
<laughs> no, but I, I don't even like running two by fours through there if I, if at all possible. I just don't like how hard knots are on the the planer blades. Yeah, um, something else that I found to also help quite a bit is it feed the board in in on an angle so that the point that contacts the rollers first is actually the point instead of that blunt edge the end grain edge if you skew it just slightly and then that point hits it first it's less of an of, of an abrupt like impact so it kind of gradually rolls over just a little bit a little bit more even and reduces the effect of the snipe now it's not eliminated but it's not as abrupt as it would be otherwise if you just feed it in there directly hey nick off subject wait are we done with that question are we do yeah I think okay. so. yeah go ahead hey what's that what's the color of that orange dye that we used whenever jay and i were there um I think that, I mean, they go by numbers. That oh. company's Lockwood. I've been meaning to ask you forever now, and every time I forget. If you go to nickferry.com and search for that article, it's in there. Oh, okay. I'll look for it. I forget I forget what number. I think it was 54 Okay. for that one. It's like a cherry they, color. They actually, cherry Yeah, red. and, they, and they, they sell it. I mean, you can get, you know, large portions of it, but they make um, essentially little sample packs that make, I want to say, two quarts of dye. And that what I what we use is a water base. They also have alcohol base. They might even have oil base, but you can get like the samples to make up two quarts of dye, which goes a long ways. Mm-hmm. For I want to say six or seven bucks for the powder for one color. Cool. Thanks. Why? What do you what do you plan on using that for? Um, I made some more hair sticks out of the curly maple, and you can't really see the cur- curl by just um doing a clear coat i mean you can mm-hmm. but since it's round it's just a little bit more difficult so i'm thinking if i i remember how much it stood out whenever you use that orange dye so i think i want to uh to try that on at least one of them and see what i think yeah um you you, you probably won't see a whole lot of curl in a hair stick just because there's not much curl left i mean you're about the size of what a chopstick yeah but i mean you can see it pretty well and it's it's uh it's pretty i just want it to be a little bit more distinct you know Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was I I tried a piece out that was a small piece, anyways, just to see if if any would be left that would would make it worth using, and uh, yeah, I was happy with it. But you just can't. I just wanted a little bit more definition. I don't know how it would go on a hair stick, but you could always try uh, when you guys visited. My buddy Bob, um, he'll lay down like a black or even a purple dye, something super dark, because the curls are essentially more end grain than they really are face grain so you can go over it with a dark dye and then sand it all back down so that that dye will have penetrated deeper in the end grain and then go over with like a red or whatever interesting and and it and it really makes the curls pop then i'll try it i know him and charles neal have been doing that for a long time did you ever return that keller jig he lent you yeah oh good i've yeah. been thinking about that yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a video on that because uh, I ended up buying the smaller of the two, and I really really like it. And I've been trying it out, and I've probably made it's a Keller dovetail jig, right? Yeah, it's a it basically it, the look of hand cut dovetails. Pretty, I mean, as close as you're going to get, but with a router, and uh, it's. Uh, I've been playing around with it. I probably made about maybe 20 boxes, like little just keepsake boxes, whatever, just to play around with the system. And I've, let's see here, I've had that since now, like 
July or August of 2016. I really like it. I think it's pretty cool. Cool. So uh, real quick, back to the, the the new shop design and all that. Do you have a timeline as far as when you are liking or when do you want to get started on like, you know, breaking ground on the shop? I would love to get started as soon as I get back from Europe in April time frame. But uh, it's going to take me, you know, a few weeks because I'll just moved in. Then I'm heading off to Europe and then coming back and I have a Chicago trip then going back to Atlanta. So more than likely, it'll be around May. Uh, thankfully, the property that we purchase at the kind of like bottom, like it's away from the house a little bit, but they cut in a road or they had intentions of making a road, a street through the, uh, it's not a subdivision, but they planned on putting a road. Well, then they changed the plan and so they never actually paved it, but they did go in there and clear out the trees and flatten it and put down the crushed limestone. And so I actually have essentially a ready-made pad for building something on. And more than that, there's a clear-cut driveway to to go off from the main road, either down to where the shop will be built, or there's another driveway to where you can get to the house. So it's actually pretty perfect. Um, Where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So I would love to at least get the foundation poured and setting up whenever I get back from Europe and then just take it over the next few months. You know what I mean? More than likely the way it's going to have to happen is I'll do a step on the shop. If I can get the shell built where I can actually move my stuff into it, then that would be prime. Like if I could do that in May and June, I guess the foundation and the shell and then everything else, insulating, wiring, I can do that just as, as I'm able to. Right Did you give any thought to as far as which way the shop faces or as far as like like setting sun or anything like that? The only reason I say it is because when we bought our house, it was a newer subdivision and there was an identical one behind us, but I actually decided on this one because we would get the afternoon shade as opposed to the afternoon sun in the backyard. Yeah, I forget which, which way the house faces. So I was planning on, um, well, one, I think I'm going to be locked into... A direction either way since I want a rectangle instead of a square um, because if I'm going to put it on that road then it's going to have to to fit you know the long way of the road is going to have to be the long way of the, of, the, of the shop but I do want a lean-to off of one side of the shop so that I can have an outdoor workspace as well or a veranda whatever it's called and so that will be determined which side of the shop I put that on will be determined on which uh which way the uh the, the sun is setting no that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, Jay, I think the way that, like, if you wanted to come and help out or y'all wanted to come out and help out, but y'all weren't able to come until September, then maybe I don't do any work until September. Or I do four things. I do the, the wiring and the insulation, and then y'all come, and I happen to be doing the roofing. Well, no, Nick doesn't do roofing, but I'm just throwing it out there. You know what I mean? But then Laura wants to come over and uh, Cremona will probably come down at some point. So, yeah, I mean, I I need to build a kitchen table. I need to I'm going to have to do a fence and a a gate. Like there's lots of other things just besides the shop that I'm going to have to get to that are going to be just as pressing. So it'll be intermittent. I can do roof anything 8, 12 and, and flatter. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what the roof pitch. I mean, it's probably going to be a 412, 612, something like that. 
220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I was I was uh, listening to Mark Spagnola, and he said that his projected having a contractor do it, all of it, uh, it took 62 days. And so I'm thinking, dang, if it took professionals to, to do it in two months, I was thinking maybe four to five months, but I think that's a really low estimation now. So... And then I was listening to Frank Howarth, and he said that he had intentions of doing it right off the bat, but just because it's such a big thing, it took over a year. So yeah, we'll we'll play it by ear. Yeah, it'll be it'll either way it'll be fun. Uh, like you said, you, some of the stuff you can do kind of as it comes, as you need it, or if you get some downtime, you know, do some more insulation or whatever. Yeah, and but, like if I can if if I can get the shell built, and even if it's just studs on the inside. I can do the insulation and the wiring later. Um, I can work during the day so that I don't have to have lights and um, I throw up the OSB later on. I mean, just at, I would love to get to the point, though, to where I can actually move my tools in there to start working um, right off the bat. So hopefully by the end of, of the year. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this podcast episode. If we want to remind you that there's a couple of different ways you can stay up to date with the podcast, you can go to the woodworkingpodcast.com. And at the top, you'll find a couple of clickable buttons to subscribe on Android RSS or on iTunes. And if you are on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. That always helps and is very much appreciated. If you want to help contribute, you can go to patreon.com slash the woodworking podcast or the woodworking podcast.com and click on the contribute button. Uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. You guys take care and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. See ya. <laughs>